It's been a week since we were last in the JFG Arena, sweltering in the Glaswegian sunshine. But how times have changed. I realise now that I need a new pair of shoes and a jacket because it's so wet outside and my shoes are full of holes. Nonetheless, enough about my financial troubles. Welcome to the show. The show that takes an in-depth look at the goings-on in European football and across the globe. I realise that intro has nothing to do with anything. But nonetheless, I am joined by Peter McVitie and Andy <laughs> Ferguson. Andy, it's, it's changed days since we were last sitting here in our underwear last week. Why did this become the Colin Stone fashion report? <laughs> so I've got no shoes, I've got holes in the shoes that I do have, I need a jacket, I need new pants. Uh, warm stuff last week, but this week is pretty cold. <laughs> Peter, have you got a bit of composure? How are you this fine uh, wet day? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Um, I don't, I don't quite understand what's happened <laughs> to the show. <laughs> Neither do I, to be honest. But I think it's time. The sooner we get to the football, the, the better it will become. We're going to go later on to the Eredivisie, to Germany, and Jupp Hank's last game. But first of all, we go to the Serie A, where Juve fell short in their bid for a record points haul, as they could only salvage a one-all draw with Cagliari. But racism reared its ugly head again over the weekend in the Serie A match between Roma and AC Milan, with the Rome club this morning fined €50,000 after chants were aimed at Mario Balotelli. The referee had to stop the game just after the start of the second half after a chorus of abusive chants were aimed at the Italy striker. The Gialli Rossi, meanwhile, have warned their fans of their future conduct after the incident, insisting that the behaviour had no place in football. The match eventually finished nil all, with Sully Montari and Francesco Totti both being sent off. Pete, Italy's had a long-standing problem with racism. Is fining clubs really going to change anything? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think... There's a lot of fans who really don't care how much their their club gets banned, and I think in ter- when fines are are handed out, it's very hard to def- to say what the what the the right amount is. I mean, when you're fining a club ten thousand euros or ten thousand pounds for for racism, it really isn't much. But how far do you take it? Because it's a very very hard, difficult issue for a club to take uh, for a cl- uh, for a club to deal with, um, and I think it's a problem, it's not football's problem I've got to be honest, it's society's problem and it has to be dealt with through education which is if, if, they, take, if they take action it is really going to take a long time I think it's really difficult for, for clubs themselves to, to be able to deal with this and fines I don't think are, are the right way to go, I think I really think what happened in uh, the Roma-Milan game was was, was quite a, a good way to take it um, referee stopped the, uh, there was one warning during the, over the tannoy during the game and it continued, so they stopped the game, and it was quite clear that if it, if the fans persisted again, then the game would be cancelled or, or suspended or abandoned. Sorry, and I think that's quite a, a good way to take it. If, but it's difficult to go from just stopping the game for a minute to actually stopping the game completely. And, and the referee who does that, and the, the the players who walk off in that instance during a league game, are are will make a, a big big stand and make themselves a big example so I think if it happens then it will really make a statement of intent from from the league and I think it's the right way to go but there needs to be more beyond that and that's to do with education and, and the in, in society, not not just football. Andy, the game felt a bit like a dead rubber, uh, an end of season game which didn't really count for much despite AC Milan still having a lot to play for how do you see Roma kind of changing over the summer because at the moment their squad's very much almost in a transitional phase? Well, it does seem like that, yeah. They've obviously, um, having the two managers in such a short space of time with uh, Luis Enrique and then uh, Zidnik Zeman, 
leaving in such a short space of time. They have Andrea Zoli, who's come in, really tried to steady the ship and has done to an extent. I mean, getting a draw against Milan probably isn't... They, they would have been hoping for a win, obviously, to keep their European hopes alive, but it isn't really a, a, a terrible result against a, a strong Milan side now. Um, but over the summer, I, I don't see Andrea Zoli staying. I think that Allegri looks ever more likely to go there. Someone like Matt Zari has been linked as well if he was to leave Napoli. So I think they'll bring in a new manager for sure. And I think it'll be a, a big manager, uh, a big name. And I, I see them with the, the new American owners, I see them having some financial clout that maybe they haven't had for the past couple of years. Pete, we were talking about the game there. It wasn't great, but there was a, a moment of madness from Suleiman Tari. You watched the game. Yeah. What happened? Well... Mario Balotelli was uh, put in a late tackle and, and was, was given a yellow card. I don't think it was really a, a bookable offence at all. It was the player's reaction, I think, which earned Balotelli, the, the uh, Roma player's reaction, I think, which earned Balotelli the yellow card. Um, and as the referee booked him, Suleiman Tari went over to him and, and, and pleaded with him and the referee went into his pocket again for a card and Montari just grabbed his hands and would not let go for love nor money. He just could not... The referee was trying to shake free for ages. He couldn't get away from him. Montari was just talking to him constantly, holding his hands. He eventually got free uh, and went for his pocket again and Montari grabbed him again and bear-hugged him almost. Uh, and it, There was nothing the referee could do. And it was so weird. It was so obscure because as soon as you touch a referee, you know if you're... Not going to get bo- if you're not going to get booked, you're getting sent off, and um, it just seemed like such a strange thing to do to keep on holding on to him and, and keep talking to him. And eventually, referee got free and he showed them a red card. Um, and Tari walked off and and sort of went mentally bent over and was like, ah! um, <laughs> and I'm not really sure what happened or why. But it's so weird. It was it's one of the weirdest things I've seen on the pitch. But this is like. It was no surprise that it was Solomon Tari though, because the guy's a is generally a bit nuts. I mean, I remember in 2010 in the, the Jose Mourinho uh, season when they went on to win the treble, they were playing Catania and it was one each, and he, he they took off Esteban Cambiasso for him. Uh, he was Cambiasso had been one of Inter's best players at the time, um, and they took him off. Montari comes on for him within 90 seconds. He had been booked twice and gave away a penalty. Um, they scored the penalty and when Catania went on to win three one. Um, so it was like taking off your best player and putting him on the opposite team. Um, and that's what it was like. And that, but that summer he went and scored an absolute peach against Uruguay for for Ghana in the, the quarterfinals of the the World Cup. It's, it's so it's, he is a bit of an enigma. Was, but this was just so obscure I just couldn't understand what he was doing a strange character remind you of anyone Pete anyway talking of Inter who ended a run of three straight defeats in Serie A on Sunday after they held Genoa to a nil-all draw at the Marassi the the Grafoni who secured their league survival thanks to results elsewhere were unlucky to have been rewarded for their first half performance although Tommaso Rocky between a rocky and a hard place could have swung the match in the visitors favour were it not for the crossbar now Massimo Moratti president of Inter Milan said the future of under fire coach Andrea Stramaccioni would be discussed this week. He only has one win in the last eight games. Would you say Stramaccioni is out of his depth at Inter Milan, Andy? Um, I, I don't know. It's tough to say because he, he started really well when he, he came up. Uh, when he came into the team, he obviously took over in tough circumstances um, but hasn't done it 
really this season, but that's been a number of factors. I mean, have you, if you've looked at the Inter Milan side over the past maybe two or three months, that side has been decimated by injury. So it's tough to say. I mean, obviously Marathi said a few times that they would stick by him, but at the weekend now said that they would evaluate the situation, which when it comes to Inter Milan looks quite ominous for the man that's in charge. Is uh, Stramaccioni going to stay on for next season, do you think, Pete? I hope so, um, but it's very, very hard to say because of the way Inter have been run since Jose Mourinho's departure. I mean, there's so many parallels between them and Chelsea and the way the, the players have stayed the same and the coach has always changed. And I think Stramaccioni, in his first job, in, in, uh, which he was thrown into at Inter, um, I think... If they keep on with them, then things will turn around. I think you really have to give them time. They don't have a fantastic squad, as Andy says. They've been uh, had a lot of injuries. They're obviously missing uh, the su- ultra superhuman beast that is Xavier <laughs> Zanetti, which is a big, big hindrance on the team. Uh, I really, I would like to see a bit of long-term planning and uh, action being taken and keeping Stramatio on. The one thing I would say though is that he came up through the the Primavera team, the under 19s, after winning the next gen series uh, trophy last season uh, but none of those players that won that cup have ever come into the first team or, or not not enough anyway which I think is maybe it doesn't have the faith and that suggests that there's uh, they have a problem in bringing these players in which I think is is a bit of a problem that they have to deal with uh, so but I think for long term I think they should stick with them I really hope they do Fiorentina can sign Palermo to relegation on Sunday as their vital 1-0 success kept up their hopes of finishing in Serie A's third and final Champions League place Genoa's goalless draw with Inter meant that only a win would do for the Sicilians but their former hero Luca Toni popped up towards the end of the first half to tuck away Quadrado's cross after Borja Valero had played the Colombian in on goal Palermo must now regroup ahead of their first Serie B campaign since 2003 Will you miss them? I'll miss Mikeli. Uh I don't know what what will happen with him. Uh, real, uh, he's the only reason I really feel sorry for Palermo. But in terms of uh, will I miss Palermo? No, simply because Zamparini uh, is another, and I could do with a rest from his constant changing of managers and and stuff. It really annoys me. So yeah, when they go down, he'll be out of the the limelight. I hope, uh, and we'll have a maybe a more enjoyable season. But. Obviously, we Sicilian team they are, they are generally enjoyable when they when they are playing well. And as I say, I like Mikuli and Ilicic and stuff. So it's a shame to it is in a certain way a shame to see them go. But at the same time, they can bugger off. Andy Fiorentina's chairman Andre Delavalla says Montenegrin player Stevan Jovetic will have the final say on his future. Will Jovetic still be in Italy this time next year? I don't think so. I, I think he's going to leave and I think the likely destination is either going to be Turin or probably London. I, I think there's been a lot of link to Arsenal. Not Manchester? Um, Manchester City was a big link under Mancini, but whether the new man that comes in obviously wants him or whether the, the directors that seem to be taking more control of transfers there will still want him, I'm not so sure. But I definitely think that Juventus and Arsenal are, are probably the favourites to try and land them. But um, out of the two of them, I don't know who you'd prefer to go to. I think if it's Pellegrini that comes in at Manchester City, then he would be a good good acquisition for them. If he, assuming he, he implements a similar style to, to Malaga and Villarreal, I think it would be a good yeah. sign. 
Now, Udinese set a club record seventh straight win with a 2-1 victory over Atalanta at the Friuli to keep their Europa League fate in their own hands. Antonio Di Natale grabbing a double as he swept up two goals in the box for his 175th goals in Italy's top tier. It now means that Di Natale has reached 102 league goals in the past four seasons, a record only bettered by Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi. In other words, he scored more than the likes of Cavani, Falcao, Van Persie, Rooney, etc. He's the third most prolific scorer in Europe, but why is he never linked away from Udinese? Well, there were always there were links that, that came about in, in earlier years, but he always sort of dismissed them and decided to stay at Udinese, which I have to respect. And, and when he gets beyond 29, 30, then... Clubs are going to stop looking at him, seeing him as a as a bit of a risk. Maybe his his talent's going to deteriorate. You can never tell. It never has. He's the main reason Udinese have been in such a a, a prosperous position that they are in the last couple of years. Wonderful. I mean, that's a, f- a phenomenal statistic and how many goals he's scored and where he lies in when the cup goes head to head with the the bigger the more famous players of European football. It shows what what would he have achieved if he had been in one of those teams. I think the best way to describe uh, Antonio Di Natale is like a fine wine. He's someone that's uh, got better and matured with age. I mean, before maybe the past maybe five years or so, he wasn't hitting the same heights that he was, but in the past sort of five or six years, he's become really prolific. And as you say, the 102 goals is a phenomenal record, and he's really carried that Udinese squad for quite a while now. But in terms of a transfer, I think for him, it was always sort of, uh, wrong play or right place at the wrong time. He was at Udinese performing well, but he was linked with Juventus a few scenes ago. Um, he chose not to go there. They signed Cagliarella instead. Um, I think he wanted to re- repay the faith that Udinese had shown to him, and obviously stick with a club that remains so true to his heart. And that's testament to the man. But um, I think uh, I would have liked to have seen him grace maybe at a bigger stage but I think now he's getting a little bit older so I think he will probably see out his days at Udinese He went off on a stretcher at the weekend as well didn't he which was a bit worrying but says he's no big problems he'll be back Well like you say with Dean Natal and his loyalty to Udinese I hope you guys will be as loyal to this podcast and won't go joining STV or something like that Now going over to the Eredivisie where Ajax's title win secured all the headlines last week but this week Dutch football was dominated by the news that PSV midfielder and footballing legend Mark van Bommel has announced his retirement PSV Eindhoven had already secured second place in the league and their Champions League qualifying spot ahead of Feyenoord but suffered a 3-1 loss at the hands of Twente with van Bommel getting getting sent off in his final career appearance for a crunching tackle on Dusan Tadic. Could it have really ended any other way than Van Bommel getting sent off? No, it was it was fitting, is the, the way to describe it. It was a fitting farewell. Two bookings. But the second booking, if he hadn't been booked before, it was going to be sent off because it was a straight red. It was, it was a real horrible tackle. And he did, after the game, he did say, I, I, I deserved that. He had decided to retire uh, before the game but he hadn't announced it until after it. Uh, and he told Dries Mertens, the PSV winger, after it, that he had gone out like Zidane, which I think is is probably prob- probably right. But I, I must admit, I'm a, I'm a bit devastated to see him retire. I, I was kind of hoping for another season of, of, of Mark Van Bommel. He hasn't been brilliant this season for PSV. In fact, at certain points, he's been a bit of a hindrance. But he's a good leader. He, he's a good captain. And, and he, he, when he bickers with the referee, when he... When he in, Mouths away in the ear of his opponents. He's he's motivating his players. He's trying to provoke a reaction. He's trying to change the game in his team's favour. I think he's a. I think he was a, 
a brilliant captain and a brilliant leader and it's good to see him he's going to become part of, of uh, the, the coaching staff at PSV now and What's your <laughs> enduring memory of Van Bommel what really sticks out the, well funnily enough I, I do have a lot of respect for him I, I mean 21 seasons he played 22 trophies he won a champion, including a Champions League four Eredivisie two Bundesliga Scudetto a La Liga uh, eight domestic cups and a, a, a World Cup final um, he scored some magnificent goals he was generally a good midfielder with a more alternative style uh, shall we say <laughs> But I've got to admit, I think my my lasting memory will be the game for Bayern Munich. I think it was against Hamburg. Uh, the ball went down uh, just outside the Bayern Munich box and it went out for a throw-in and he picked the ball up and the referee gave it, uh, I think if it was Hamburg, then it was Hamburg, uh, he gave it to the other team. Uh, and uh, Van Bommel moaned about it and moaned. The referee booked him. Then Van Bommel as he was walking away, he started moaning again and he'd give the old up yours and the referee, but the referee didn't see that, he turned around and sent him off straight away and that was, booked him a second time and it was, it was within seconds he'd received two yellow cards for typical Mark Van Bommel style. I mean, I will always, I will respect him for what he's done as a player and whenever, I, whenever a, a conversation comes up with I always make the case to defend him but that is just the thing, it's just the lasting thing is just that is what Van Bommel was all about. So it's such a he was an enigma. When you list off all his accolades, like the twenty-two trophies in a twenty-one-year career, it's it's quite a, a glamorous career for a man that really isn't that glamorous himself <laughs> in terms of playing. But I, I, he, he did score a, a barrel load of fantastic goals. He, he had some pelt of a shot on him. Um, from long range, if he, if he decided to unleash it, and he, he did do the job of holding midfielder well. He, he did work as a destroyer for many of the teams that he played for, um, particularly impressive at Bayern Munich and Barcelona. So yeah, um, it's, it's sad to see him go. Whether you are a, a fan or not of his, um, he's still an integral player to the Dutch squad for the past few years. Anyway, now Pete Philip Koku signed a four-year deal at PSV to succeed Dick Advocat. Uh, firstly, is that a good move? And secondly, who will he bring in? to almost uh, step up to the plate to where Van Bommel's left? I think it's a wonderful move, I have to be honest. Uh, Philip Koku come in to replace Fred Rutten for the second half of last season. Uh, and he, he said that he didn't really feel he was ready for it, but he did it and things didn't go well. Uh, from then on, he said he, he really wasn't ready for it and he wanted to take another year uh, coaching the under-19s uh, team, which is a bit like what Frank de Boer did at Ajax. Uh, and Dick Advocat would come in and win the league this season with Van Bommel and then next season they would have another season and maybe uh, and then Philip Cocker would come in things didn't go well with Advocat this season and Van Bommel had obviously a wonderful start to the season they scored 103 goals but it wasn't enough they they, get, they were out of Europe by Christmas they were uh, second half of the season was terrible they lost the KNVB Baker to AZ on Thursday uh, so it was a real, it turned into a really horrible and disappointing season uh, Advocate said he would leave as a failure as a failure he says he's a failure and to be honest he is um, but Koku comes in four year contract it all comes as part of a revolution of PSV building towards the future just like uh, Ajax have been doing and like Feyenoord have been doing so what Koku says he's going to do is, is make young players an important part of, the, of his team. The club don't think... They're, they're in the Champions League qualifiers for next season, but they don't see progressing into the, the group stages as um, 
as a, a big deal this season. It would be a bonus, but it's not. It's not a main objective of the team. So it's going to be. It's a long-term appointment. The expectations for this season aren't exactly brilliant. Losing the if they don't win the league, it's no big deal. But it's what goes on beyond there. So it's a big, big revolution. My problem though is that they have a. They are in talks with Man City for a partnership, just like Vitesse have with Chelsea and what Ajax seem to be building towards with Barcelona, which is good in that it will see young players like John Guidetti when he was at Feyenoord come in on loan for a season and, and it will help train them. But my problem with that is is how it will affect the youngsters that these Dutch teams are producing. I mean, the, the amount of young players that are in Holland just now are phenomenal. There are so many wonderful, absolutely incredible players that are coming through. And if, if you're taking guys on loan from Man City, Chelsea, Barcelona and stuff, it can hinder the, the development and the, the bleeding through of, of these young players. So that's why I'm in two minds about that. But over beyond that, I think the future for PSV looks quite good. I think bringing in Koku is obviously a, a very bright move. Um, as Pete said, he's been in charge of the the under nineteen squad, um, and I think they are going to have to rely on a lot more younger players next season because um, I read that obviously with Van Bommel going, uh, they're losing players like Orlando Engelar and um, Atiba Hutchinson from the midfield, so they're going to have to rely on some more young players like that to come through as well. So um, I, I'm quite interested to see how Koku does because I was a massive fan of his as a player and hoped that he would succeed when he took over for that short spell um, just over a year ago. Um, so, yeah, I hope he does a good job there. A big, big positive is that Therese Merton says he's going to stay and it looks like, uh, well, Kevin Stropman hasn't ruled out staying. He wants to leave the club a champion after this disaster, well, this disastrous season, more or less. Um, he might stay for another year. Uh, the defence is something they need to sort out, though. A, a centre-back is, is what's lacking there. In footballing matters in Holland, the last two Europa League playoff spots were the focal point during Sunday's final fixtures, with the top six and bottom three already confirmed. However, there was no movement in the standings as all four teams with a chance of European action next season suffered defeats, including seventh-place Groningen. Heron Vane remained eighth despite a 1-0 loss at Strugglers Roda, whilst Christian Nemet scored the decisive goal in the 31st minute. Ado Den Haag could have secured seventh place with three points at Pekzvala, but suffered a 4-2 defeat. Now, Pete, the Europa League playoff system is a bit messy and confusing in Eredivisie. Who's going to get it? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I think I think 20 could, could do it, or, yeah, or Utrecht. Um, or Vitesse or, or any of no, them Vitesse have already got it Vitesse have final draw mm-hmm. there. so Groningen uh, and Heerenveen have got a good chance but I mean the way they finished the season wasn't wasn't wonderful I think Utrecht and, and Twente are, are too too much quality about them I think probably Utrecht Excellent and we're going to go over to League 1 where Carlo Ancelotti's PSG finally secured the title at the weekend after a hard fought 1-0 win over Lyon with Jeremy Menes securing the decisive goal in the second half at the Stade de Guerland. Now seven points clear of second place Marseille with only two rounds of action remaining the Parisians now have an unassailable lead and have the title for the first time in close to two decades. Lyon meanwhile have an anxious couple of weeks ahead as they try to secure Champions League football next term. Title well deserved for PSG? Um, over the course of it, yes, probably. I mean, it would have been tragic if they they hadn't won the title really with the the strength of their squad at their disposal, and obviously with the the financial restraints of all the other teams in the league. But um, they they maybe sort of struggled over the line more so than they would have liked. Um, but at the end of the day, 
they're champions and we've got to congratulate them for that. Now before we get on to the potential movers and shakers at PSG, let's talk about another team who have made headlines this week. Last week on JFG World Review, Andy suggested we specifically talk for the first time in over a year about Monaco. And seven days later, it appears that the struggling side have signed Falcao from Atletico Madrid in a €60 million deal. Andy, either you have crystal balls or you've got a very well-placed source in the Principality and you were trying to, you know, bring bring them to the fore before their big announcement. Uh, Seriously, though, nobody saw this coming at all. Why Monaco? Um... Well, having done some investigation into it, I think it seems like there's a third party involved in the deal. Um, most of Falcao's, like. well, uh, there is obviously a, a third party involved in it. Um, most of Falcao, if not all of his registration, um, now lies with this third party, and it was transferred over to AS Monaco so that the third party could make a, a good investment. Because supposedly um, they were wanting sixty million euros in transfer for the deal, and obviously the the ten million that is being paid for his wages came into play as well. So Monaco were one of the few teams, if only maybe one of the only teams in uh, European football and world football that could afford that. So whether the choice was anything down to Falcao or whether it was all the the third parties quite unsure right now well, but that seems quite unfair to me somebody who perhaps didn't really want to move to this side but didn't have a choice because the agent who is apparently is it Jorge Mendes yeah. no he's uh, not he's he, he owns, owns him yeah. there we go um, he seems to be the one who actually made the decision well it seems like it and um, another interesting factor in it was that there is no agreement for if Real Madrid were to, to make their interest in the player, there's no contract clause for him to leave to Real, and it, it seemed that that was his preferred destination out of everywhere. At first, when it came out, I thought it was more of a case of Atletico not wanting to sell to Real, but um, yeah, obviously, um, they've agreed no clause in his contract that Real Madrid can come in and uh, release him from that. But um, obviously, there's the problems with the third party agreement in uh, England, which means that players can't sign if there is a third party agreement we saw that with uh, West Ham and their dealings with Tevez and Mascherano before so that would have deterred interest from Manchester United and Chelsea but it, it does seem slightly or largely unfair on the player that he may have been forced to move to a club that he wasn't overly keen to join Now with Monaco signing Falcao and rumoured to be in for the likes of Evra Tevez and the freshly fired Roberto Mancini back to PSG will they have to make any significant moves in the transfer window and will they be letting players like Beckham go? Well um, they've offered Beckham a new one year deal Um, apparently he is uh, contemplating signing that deal just now Um, he's remained very quiet over his future I think he's keeping his options open for the time being but um, Ancelotti and some of the the club staff have said that they're not going to make massive transfer dealings this summer but obviously with the emergence of Monaco this might make something different but there's a lot of uncertainty over PSG right now um, I, Leonardo took ill over the weekend after the, the championship when he was uh, hospitalised after a collapse apparently he's uh, so excited. Su- suffering from stress and strain and oh. probably a lot of that is down to Ibrahimovic <laughs> um, but obviously best wishes to him and um, also there's a lot of speculation over the future of Carlo Ancelotti um, the, the owner uh, Khalifa said that he had spoken to Real Madrid and they were interested in bringing him in as manager next season um, but he says he's got a, a one year deal and he's going to fulfil that uh, contract so 
Um, only time will tell what happens, but it, it's definitely going to be interesting in France and probably for all of you with managerial changes this summer. On, I'm going to get to this point. France has ever been interesting. Yeah, <laughs> you, you can it. I'm going to get to this point very briefly. I've just read that Salvatore Sirigu has kept a remarkable 22 clean sheets this term. Do you see him perhaps moving to England or maybe to Spain? No, I think he's comfortable in France uh, right now. I think he's enjoying his time at PSG and he is. Um, I think he's proven to uh, many people in Europe that he is one of the best goalkeepers out there. Um, he's had a fantastic season. Uh, obviously, the, the end of it has been marred by his, uh, his uh, sending off and his suspension towards the end of the campaign. But over the course of it, he's been fantastic and he's been one of the, the vital reasons as to why PSG are champions this, summer, uh, this year. I thought 22 clean sheets was quite a low total for France considering 90% of the games finished nothing each. <laughs> And I think Why do you hate France <laughs> so much? Punch him, please. Make for entertaining radio. He's just in a clearly shit mood today. <laughs> now, Olympic Marseille extended their unbeaten run to 10 games with a 2-1 win against Toulouse on Saturday. OM have won seven and drawn three of their matches during the run, which is the longest stretch without defeat since a 15-game sequence three years ago. Now certain to finish second, Marseille are assured of a place in the group stage of next season's Champions League. Do you see them making a significant impact in Europe? No. Um... <laughs> No, I, I don't think so because, again, I still don't think they've got a lot of money there. Um, their team is, they've got decent players, uh, but not a lot of strength and depth. So I think uh, they may struggle um, over the course of trying to combine both a, a Champions League campaign and a strong league campaign because despite Monaco and PSG having bags and bags of money, um, I think Marseille still want to, to be there or thereabouts like this season. Um, come the end of next and to be competing on both fronts with a team that they have without um, some more strength then I think they might struggle and elsewhere in Ligue 1 at the weekend San Etienne were beaten for the first time in 2013 has this derailed their hopes of European football? well yeah they're now a, f- a few points behind um, Lyon um, I think San Etienne currently sit in 6th place but the, the good news for them was that uh, Evian absolutely battered uh, nice at the weekend and Lille failed to win as well so um, the, the, it's still very tight there and they'll still view of having a chance of qualifying for the Champions League uh, but uh, the manager Christophe Galtier was absolutely furious after the weekend's performance getting beat 3-1 by Lorient he said the team fell asleep for 20 minutes and were made to pay and um, obviously they were wanting to hold out that unbeaten record till the end of the season I think they'll still feel that they're in a good chance of qualifying, but it is going to be tough now. It seems that Sanatien have pressed the snooze button. Now we go over to the Bundesliga where Jupp Heinz's send-off went as planned as Bayern Munich romped to a comfortable 3-0 victory over Augsburg, giving them their 28th victory of a remarkable season. Thomas Müller got the first goal of a slow end-of-season encounter, heading home with just over 20 minutes to play, and Jordan Shakiri made the points safe soon after before Luis Gustavo added insult injury before full-time. This is perhaps a really stupid question to ask, but can you credit Hanks with Bayern's revitalisation over the past two years? Uh, I think it's something that had been building towards for some time. I think uh, I think Van Gaal actually put down the foundations for this, and it, it built on from there. But Hanks is is is, is uh, advanced it even further and turned them into an absolute machine. Uh, been fantastic all season. Uh, they've shown no signs of stopping, and Hanks has to take the credit for that because. 
he's he's kept through it and he's turned them into something magnificent. Now we have covered Pete's man crushes before, but I must admit to one now. Zerdan Shakiri, I've been a huge fan of for mm. so long. He scored at the weekend, but with the arrival of Mario Goza, where does Shakiri fit in that team? Hard to say, really. We we were talking about it um, recently, and we, we, we don't. Yeah, well, you're away. But um, yeah, we. Well, I don't think that he'll have much place in that team. Um, obviously, with that wealth of talent in the midfield, um, and Goza coming into play in the position that Shakiri directly plays in, <laughs> um, I, I don't see him having much of a place, which is unfortunate because he, he looked great at Bale and he's starting to uh, become a top player at uh, Bayern and the, the chances that he has had. I, I think he would have uh, went from strength to strength if he kept getting uh, some game time there, but unfortunately, I think he may end up leaving. Now, Goal.com this morning are reporting that a Santos official says that Neymar is on his way to the Allianz Arena. How reliable do you think that is? Um, I don't really think it is, because as far as it seemed, it was, he was on his way to Barcelona. Um, it's possible, of course. I mean, the Pep Guardiola factor might come yep. in, the fact that Bayern can, can essentially challenge any team to any player that they want. Um, so it's hard to say, but I would be surprised. I, I still think he's, he's new camp bound, I've got to be honest. Yeah, I've read also <laughs> that um, he has a, a meeting planned in Barcelona after the Confederations Cup this summer. So um, I, I think it's uh, it, it's more likely that he's going to go to Barcelona, but again, it's uh, it's absolutely nuts and transfer speculation right now. So until it's uh, anything is confirmed, it's hard to tell exactly where he will go. Now, very briefly, Borussia Dortmund produced a miraculous comeback to avoid defeat in their Champions League preparations, scoring two late goals to earn a three-all draw with Wolfsburg at the Volkswagen Arena. Not ideal preparation for the final, but this season Dortmund have conceded more goals than they have in the previous three what has happened to their defence, which was initially so rock solid with Hummels and Subotic? I think they've hit the snooze button. I think. Well, thank you for bringing back that analogy, Andy. And elsewhere in Germany, Schalke missed their chance to cement their fourth place as they suffered a 2-1 loss to Stuttgart at the Veltins Arena. <laughs> Freiburg shortened the gap to one point, which gives them the chance to leapfrog the rear outfit when the teams face each other on the final match day. It really is all to play for. If Freiburg win, they take fourth place. If Schalke win, they have fourth place. Who do you give the advantage to, Pete? It's a, quite a hard one to say because neither team has been playing brilliantly. Schalke totally capitulated at the weekend in through Schalke fashion. Even their goal wasn't scored by Schalke. Uh, but I think I do think they'll hold on and, and, and take it. I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Now we're going to go over to La Liga very quickly where Barcelona, champions Barcelona, kicked off their title celebrations with a 2-1 come from behind victory over Atletico Madrid at the Vicente Calderon on Sunday. Real Madrid's one all draw with Espanyol on Saturday assured the Blaugrana off the title before a ball was even kicked. Now talking of Real Madrid, the main story this week is the upcoming Copa del Rey on Friday. Arda Turan from Atletico Madrid says he'll cut off his hair if Atletico win on Friday, will he have to take out the razor? Um, for, his ha- for his hair? I'm glad you cleared that up. <laughs> um, personally, for a number of reasons, I hope he doesn't, because I would very much like to see Atletico Madrid win the Copa del Rey, and I think he's rocking that long hair look right now. You should so be would, in a L'Oreal yeah. advert. Yeah. 
if he has a shave, maybe. Because he was looking fairly bearded when he was playing at the weekend. But anyway, on a more manly football topic, um, I, I personally, I would like to see Atletico win the, the Copa del Rey. Um, I think they've had a great season and it would be a, a just reward. But again, Jose will be wanting to uh, leave with one trophy at least. Andy, you saw the video of Fabio Contral, which emerged over the weekend. Could you briefly describe what's, what's happened in the video? Because it is hilarious. Well... Basically, it seems like Contral thought he was on the bench, wasn't on the bench, and got laughed at by all his teammates. <laughs> um, if you haven't seen it, I would recommend that you watch it because Benzema's face is absolutely priceless. He uh, doesn't know where to laugh or cry and ends up doing both. Um, Cassias basically told Contral how much of an idiot he was. Contral ended up having to go and speak to Mourinho and ask if he was on the bench and was told, no, get upstairs, you idiot. Ended up up there and there was no seats for him up there either, so he ended up just walking down the corridor looking sad. So yeah, it must be great to be Fabio Contral right now. (laughs) And uh, Pete, do you see Atletico triumphing over Real? I mean, they've not beaten Real Madrid for 14 years, which doesn't doesn't bode well for them. No, it doesn't, but... It's a final. I mean, if if Wigan can beat Man City and totally outplay them, then Atletico stand out an even greater chance against Real Madrid. It gives Radamel Falcao a wonderful chance to end, exit on a great ending. Um, I think it would be good to see. I, I think they stand a good chance. And uh, the way Real Madrid are playing, they haven't been fantastic. They've been really, really poor. I think they, they can do it. Now, before we look at the Europa League final on Saturday, we'll go to Real Sociedad, who appear to be on their way to a crucial victory in the race for the final Champions League spot. But a 93rd minute equaliser meant they had to settle for a two all draw with Granada. This leaves them tied on 59 points with Valencia and only ahead on goal difference with three games remaining. They face Sevilla, Real Madrid, and Deportivo, whilst Valencia face Getafe, Granada, and Sevilla. As much as we would like the underdogs of Sociedad's to stay in fourth place, how likely is it, Andy? It's a very, very tough running. I think they've got a much harder running than Valencia do by the looks of things. I mean, playing uh, Real Madrid and Sevilla, who are, are no easy team either, and even Deportivo, who are still lingering about at the bottom end of the table, they'll be looking to pick up points as well. Um, I think it'll be tough. I, as you said, I, I hope that they stay there. But there was another story that emerged from Sociedad during the week that I found quite interesting was um, about their manager, uh, Philippe Montagnier. He was very, very strongly linked by reports in France to taking over at uh, Stade René next season, which I don't really understand why he would want to move back to France considering he's taken Sociedad to such a strong position in the table and there is a very big chance of them gaining Champions League, if not Europa League football next season, and Ren have been so dismal this campaign. And in a word, Malaga manager Manuel Pellegrini, is he going to Man City or not? Looks like it. Yes. That was more than one word, Pete, but never mind. In our final section of this week's JFG World Review, we'll go to the Europa League final, where Europe's second biggest continental masterpiece takes place on Saturday as Chelsea face Benfica. The English side have the superior squad, but Benfica have already beaten several high-profile clubs on the way to the final and have looked very impressive throughout. How do you see it panning out? Benfica, victory. Jorge Jesus will be delighted (laughs) and Ola John and Cardoso will tear them apart and... They'll be champions. Yeah, mutual feelings. I just hope they beat Chelsea. <laughs> Likewise. Now, However, if, if Chelsea win and Mourinho ends up at Chelsea, the first game of next season will be Pep versus Mourinho if Bayern win the Champions League final. It's a very interesting point to end on. Now, 
as I don the JFG oh glasses, it's time to end the show. It's raining outside. Why have you got sunglasses with you? Because they're so cool and I wore them last week and <sighs> I can see they've, they've brought a smile to your face. Peter, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Andy Ferguson. Ferguson, not Ferguson. 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 It's been a pleasure. Thanks. I've been your host, Colin Stone. This has been a wonderful episode of Jumpers for Goalpost World Review. Thank you for listening. Yeah. I'm here with Andy Ferguson, as opposed to Andy Ferguson. When did it become like really e- camp? It's Ferguson. Ferguson. Did you not become camp? It's Ferguson. It's not F U R G U. Ferguson. F E R. Ferguson. With a Ferg. You, you say Ferg, do you? Ferg. Yeah. Ferg. It's Ferg. It's Ferg. Ferg. Is this There's like a fucking is this E in like, it? Is this like Torres and Torres? Your name is Ferguson. It's Ferguson. There's E in it. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, not Ferg. Two U's. There's, Ferg. There's an apple in. There's an E in apple. You don't say Apple. What? You don't say Apple. Apple either. But do you? You say Apple. 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 I got an apple. You don't say Apple.